0: I really enjoyed our chat. She's really switched on. She's a US Army veteran and her partner was in the army before their divorce. Um, So she was on base living with him. And the fact that she had to follow him around and move house, depending on where he was stationed or where the army told them to go, was an interesting side to Getting a divorce and the difficulties of marriage. She talks really openly about betrayal and being in an abusive and emotionally abusive marriage. And so there are trigger warnings for this episode for emotional abuse um, and also assault is mentioned. Um, She's a therapist and a divorce recovery coach. And she talks about telling people one thing in her sessions where she was being a therapist and then not practicing self-care herself, which is very interesting as well. She's had a very varied life and um, she talks really honestly about that. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I am joined by Keena Crowley, US Army veteran, divorce recovery coach and international speaker. Welcome to The Divorce Social.
2: Thank you.
0: Um, how does it feel me welcoming you to the divorce social?
2: Oh, you put such emphasis on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like the breath out that you took there as well.
2: Yeah, Um. with where I am now, it, it really feels good. Maybe a couple years ago, not so much, but I'm in a, such a good space right now.
0: And I guess it's your job now as well, because you're a divorce recovery coach. So you kind of have to be okay with it (laughs) because you're hearing a lot of it.
2: Yes, yes.
0: So um, do you want to take us back to how long ago you got divorced yourself and where you were in the world and your life at that time?
2: Oh, okay. So um, my official divorce date was in March 2021. Wow, it just hit two years. um, but in a sense, although we weren't officially divorced until that date, looking back in hindsight, um, we were already like the the marriage was already over well before that time, as far as where I was in the world, I actually was originally in Texas when Things started to take a turn. I'm a veteran, and I had gotten out of the military. And my ex was still in the military, and he was actually serving overseas in Korea when things really, really took a no- nosedive. Um, and we ended up ECSing or um, moving due to military orders to Washington State, and we were there two weeks before I determined like I had had enough, I had found out about betrayal. And thankfully I, I had a very, very strong support system that, that kind of came and rescued me, pulled me out. Um, Cause I, I, in hindsight, I wasn't thinking clear. And um, I drove cross country with my son um, to Florida and that's where I've been ever since. So, I mean it was a journey for sure. Um, but yes, I don't know if you want me to like kind of get into like just where my process and all of that or really where you want me to go. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot there already. So, yes.
0: your you and your ex were in the sort of same area in the army. Yes. Um and you were told to move when things weren't going well. So what was that experience like? Moving is stressful at the best
2: of times. Right, right. And we were really dealing with multiple stressors because in the military, you know, it's just due to the nature of the lifestyle and um the nature of the job, it imposes additional challenges when it comes to a marriage and your personal life and It had been the first time that we had been apart. Um, We actually spent the entire year apart. There was no, they call it R&R, rest and relaxation, where usually a service member is allowed to return home for a period of time to visit. But due to the pandemic, we didn't get that time. And also around that time, um, I had started Finding things that just didn't seem right, and was just kind of pointing towards betrayal. It was those things where, and you your your mind kind of sees it for what it is, but your heart is like, oh, maybe it's not, you know, and giving a benefit of the doubt and accepting the excuses. And I had found just one too many things that I, I said, you know what, this is too much. We're done. So in a sense, I had ended things with him where like cold turkey, I wasn't, um, wasn't answering. I was like, don't say I love you, all that stuff. I was already detaching, but with the pandemic happening and um, it hitting pretty hard in Asia at that time before it hit the States, my heart was like, oh, you know, I'm worried about him. He is over there. That love was still there. So it made it really complicated um, to say the least. So we're dealing with, or we were dealing with the factors that were imposed on us due to the military, in addition to those factors um, that were created by the pandemic. And at that same time, he was telling me, oh, you know, all the all the good things, right? I'm working on myself. I'm sorry. And presenting as him being accountable, because um, I, I did not mention this, but rewinding a little bit, giving a little background um, in hindsight, it was an abusive marriage. And although I was a therapist at the time, it took me a long time to see it for myself because it was not physically abusive. The physical abuse would have been a lot more clear, but um, it took a while for me to realize that it was very emotionally abusive. And so with that, I I had reached my limit. But like I said, with the pandemic and what he was working on, Or at least telling me what he was working on, I started to soften up and, you know, start put putting my guard back down and opening back up, and eventually getting to the point where, as it grew closer to time for him to return, I would we were talking about reconciliation, um, let's make it work, clean slate, um, do over, start over type stuff, and so that was the expectation when he came back to the states. Um, he returned to Texas. And then like two days later, we we packed up, well, movers came, packed up our stuff, but we packed up our car and drove to um, Washington State, which was like almost a four-day journey. Um, and during that time, it was a period of us dealing with, we're, we're dealing with the move and preparing for that. But also it was a time where we were supposed to in a sense, to be reuniting with each other, kind of getting back used to being with each other. But it was just a lot of tension. Like, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I, I just kind of kept saying, all right, maybe he he's just having a harder time adjusting to being back, and this and that, kind of those excuses and such, and trying to be understanding. But he was, like, very short with me. Um, Like, everything I did annoyed him. And the energy was very bad and our communication was very bad. And I was like, even though we're getting back used to being with each other, it still felt way too off. So we already were not in the greatest space when I basically discovered the the betrayal. And so it made it a little easier to call it at that point. But it was just a lot of factors, the military, the pandemic, and everything.
0: And I guess putting the two of you in a car for a long period of time is like putting you in like a locked room and being like, sort out your marriage or end it. you know, it's
2: pretty much
0: gonna heighten everything. So I just um just wanted to touch on the kind of betrayal aspect there because you said you were seeing signs and I know a lot of people will be able to relate to that of like oh I've noticed this and there is an excuse for it but it feels off but then you had to contend with the fact that he was in another country as well so how did you deal with that you know mentally at the time?
2: Well initially like I want to say, the first thing I saw was he—he he had an excuse for, and I, it was one of those things where I just didn't have enough evidence. It's just one plus one, you know. It just wasn't adding up pretty much, and I, I gave benefit of the doubt. And then um, from there, it was—it was an email. So while he was in Korea, I ended up moving. Um, so it was a lot of transition on my part within a short amount of time. I ended up moving like really just a street over, but it was just better for me conveniently. And, um, it just worked better. And so during the move, yeah, it was certain things found like condoms, um, where it's like, whoa, we don't use these that, but that was also the thing that I, I kind of just, I gave him benefit of the doubt, but because he came up with this excuse, but deep down in my gut, I I was like, yeah, this is not something's off. It is his reasoning is still not adding up. So already I was kind of detaching. Because
0: I guess that's understandable, right? Cause you could he could be like, Oh, I had them before, or and
2: that's what he said. Yeah.
0: And they're that's just exactly. really old. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, that makes right. sense. Yeah. And it's
2: one of those things you can't exactly prove completely. Yeah. Right. And so, all right, that but it did play on my trust at that point because I'm like, mm, all right, benefit of the doubt, but it's still something not quite right, not sitting right with that. Um, And then I find um, an email. I mentioned the move because I had to kind of set certain things up and certain things that normally he would set up, like the electronics, the TV and everything. And um, it was a smart TV that was connected. Like It was like a tablet almost, like a phone type device that acted as a remote um, for this TV. I had never dealt with it before, but, you know, to deal with the move and such, I had to set that up and in doing so it was still connected to his email, his personal email. And I saw emails, um, like just inappropriate messages flirting.
0: So did you look at his email or had they come up?
2: They came up on the they were it was automatically connected. I guess he did not disconnect it.
0: So it wasn't like you were like, right, I'm gonna go searching. You came across it. it. Right
2: there. Yeah. Yeah. And so Yes, when I saw that it was connected to his email, yes, curiosity at that point, I'm not going to lie, I did open it. I didn't go out my way, but it was connected and it was open. And so, yeah, and I'm glad I did because I saw the messages, the inappropriate messages that he had sent to another woman. Um, This was actually before he had left. At this point, he had been gone maybe about two two months. So this, this was prior to him leaving, these messages were sent. So that did it. You know, we, we had this whole back and forth. I, I confronted him and he denied and you know, I screenshot it, I was like, You can't deny this, this is inappropriate. And he, he basically downplayed it. Um, oh, that was nothing. Um, she's nothing to me. It's not like that, she's just a friend, blah, blah, blah. And so I just said, Look, you, you don't respect my boundaries. I made it very clear certain things that I'm I'm not okay with, and I'm not okay with you flirting with another woman. And so, yeah, that's where we, I told him I was done and I I really did have hard boundaries, but it made it harder for me to just leave due to the military and everything. Um, I was living on post in housing and that's a process. I, I was living in Texas where I have no family. Um, I, I had a few people that like colleagues, I had a good job, um, But I really didn't befriend anybody. All of my friends or associates were mainly his friends. Um, So it was and of course, I'm a mother at that on top of that. And so it was a lot of factors and a lot of planning before I could just up and leave. But I at least emotionally had like started to cut off the communication and such and say, hey, only reason why we're going to speak is if it's due to business, um, pretty much. Otherwise, we're just married on paper. And I meant that. Um, But due to the pandemic, I started to soften up with that.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I've been cheated on before. And I had this thing of like a certain friend of theirs and they were always like, no, 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 we're just friends. And I couldn't ever say why, but I just had this weird gut feeling. And so often it is that. And that's why it's so hard to stick to your guns, especially if they're telling you that, you know, you're making stuff up or, you know, you're imagining things because you want to believe the person you love. So it, it is a really difficult situation to be in. Yeah. So you said you confronted him. That um must have taken quite a lot to do. How did you kind of go about that because he was away? Was it in a message? Was it like on FaceTime?
2: I you know with anger and everything. At first it was a message. It was like screenshots of his emails and then I just text like we're done. Um it's over. And immediately he called me um, and he was blowing up my phone and um, I answered and he was just denying, what are you talking about? What, you know, where'd you get that from? And I explained and really there was nothing in that moment he could say that could change my mind. Like I was fed up because over our, throughout the course of our marriage, it had been things that you know, I would see or just didn't sit well and the signs were there, but I never had the proof and he would always deny. So ultimately, and he would try to make it seem like it was just my insecurities. And so ultimately I would end up backing down and plus in hindsight, the way that mentally and emotionally, I was just so drained due to the dynamics in our marriage um, and the emotional abuse. it it would really almost be easier for me to kind of just give benefit of the doubt and let it go instead of really trying to stand my ground on it or really try to dig to get that evidence. Um, And so that really was not the final ending point as far as the betrayal. Um, It was We were literally in Washington searching for houses and um, we were living in or staying in a hotel in the meantime, being that we had just arrived there. And this particular day, our routine had changed because we had already fallen in a routine at that point. We had been there maybe like two weeks. And um, the routine was that I would get up early with our dog and um, he would kind of sleep in because he was still getting acclimated due to the time difference and everything. But this particular day, he got up early um, and I stayed in bed. Well, he gets back in bed and, you know, my eyes are kind of closed, but they're kind of squinted as well. And I could see he's just on his phone, kind of clicking in and out and in and out of different apps. So I'm like, it's like eight o'clock in the morning. Like, what is he doing? And I want to say one of the apps I saw was Snapchat. And I personally never been supportive of at least my spouse and I having Snapchat because I'm like, we're, we're married and that component of your messages disappearing and such. Like I don't, especially when there were already things happening that just were kind of playing on my trust. So You know, I immediately right then confronted him like, well, what's going on? What's that? And he's like, oh, Snapchat. And I'm like, I didn't even know you had that. Who are you talking to? Because in my mind, I'm like, we've basically cleared the slate, cleaned the slate, you know, and it's supposed to be our new start. I don't know what you've been up to for this year. I know I've been, you know, loyal, but I was giving you benefit of the doubt despite the stuff that has come up. Um, and now you're sitting or laying next to me at eight o'clock in the morning and you're on Snapchat, like what? Um, so he's like, oh, and he, he gives this female's name, Sergeant such and such. So who is that? And he's like, oh, she's just blah, blah, blah. Somebody in Korea. Why are you talking to her? Like at that point I'm asking questions because in my mind, once again, this is our do over plus We're about to get further invested. We're about to purchase our first home together. Um, Literally, we had just made an offer the night before. So it's like, whoa, fast forward pretty much. At that point, I was really, really on it. I was not letting up. I, I question after question really... Everything that didn't sound right. I'm like, well, prove it because you've been gone a year. I can't just take your word at this point because this this doesn't look right. Um, and I put the pressure on him and I'm like, open that up. Because in my mind, I'm like, partially on one end, I kind of wanted him to prove it that there was nothing going on. I really wanted that. But on the other end, I, I wanted to know. I just wanted to know the truth, even if that was the truth. I I needed that evidence for a change, you know, instead of that, just his word versus what I see. So, yeah, it was a lot of inappropriate messages and it it really escalated. He was like in my face deleting stuff. He ended up handing me his computer, snatching it back from me. Like it kind of got physical. And in that moment, it got to the point where I said, look, Either open your computer and show me, like prove to me what you're saying, or we're done. Like I gave him an ultimatum and he sat there and just looked at me with the computer closed. And that just crushed me that, you know, obviously whatever it is in his computer was way more, you know, damaging than me telling him either this or we're over. And so, yeah, that day I left, I left the hotel, I ended up returning. Just to gather my bearings, in a sense, and I knew nobody there, and I I really didn't want to blow money, trying to figure out my next move. But yeah, after that, I it's like he he did a one eighty. He he just the look in his eyes. It was like, who is this person? I don't know this man, and it was just so cold and like no remorse. And I think that was like the hardest thing, like it, not just the betrayal, but the the lack of really seeming like he felt bad, the justification for, well, I was lonely and all the excuses and he wouldn't own anything until I found because I, I was finding stuff in his messages and such at that point. And yeah, at that point, it was very clear that while he was in Korea and prior to him going to Korea even, um, it was a lot of inappropriate interactions with him and, and other people.
0: That's a lot to go through, isn't it? But I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that thing of, you know, I remember one of my exes who cheated on me and sort of confronting them. And yeah, that cold look when you said that cold look in their eye, when you're like, who are you? Like, I really felt that it was like, whoa, I've been with you for a long time but I've never seen this side of you now where you yeah no remorse and just like yeah I did it almost like they're proud of it or something um and it's it's interesting about Snapchat isn't it because social media is sort of making it easier for people to hide things because like you said people don't know Snapchat you can send pictures or videos and then they disappear after you've watched them so you know that's a great way to delete any proof of you know it's not necessarily text messages or whatsapp messages that people are using anymore it's kind of things that disappear and so there's no proof right do you have any advice for anyone who might be listening who is in that place of I think my partner is cheating I've got all these gut feelings I don't have any proof you know, what should I do? How do I cope with this?
2: Yes, definitely. Um, one, try to if you have anyone in your life who is like supportive and positive and and be careful with who that person is. make sure they're supportive and positive and not that person kind of planting negative things in your mind and such. but, um, it's very helpful to kind of have someone that other than your spouse that you can talk to that will listen for one, because as you're talking, you're processing and you're kind of thinking things through and gaining perspective and clarity, but also hopefully if that person's supportive um, and positive, one, they, they are supportive in a way that if it's you, Um, Or if you're kind of making something, it's it's your insecurity in a sense, Um, there really is no reason that that person has not given you any clear reason why, then um, to kind of help you see that, that maybe you're looking a little too much into something or you just don't have enough evidence. And if that is the case, kind of don't forget it, don't disregard it kind of store it in the back, file it in the back and um, just kind of keep it there. Pay attention to patterns because likely they're there. And if you see a pattern, it's not just one, one thing. Um, Cause even in hindsight, there were patterns in my marriage. Don't disregard those and speak up, be assertive. If you see something, say something, ask questions. If it doesn't sound right, like trust your gut and, also, in talking to that trusted person, they may say, like, yeah, that doesn't sound right. Um, that does not mean go and just end your marriage just based off of that, but look at it as a whole, especially if there are other factors. With me, there were other factors there. It wasn't just, oh, is he cheating on me? It was there, there was abuse as well. So, in hindsight, although it took the betrayal for me to finally say I'm I, I'm done. I really should have walked away a long time ago. So looking at okay, even if you can't prove X Y and Z, and it's just certain things aren't adding up. Looking at your marriage as a whole, are you settling? Are you truly unhappy? Um, are is your spouse doing other things or not fulfilling other needs? Um, are they disrespecting you? So. Step back and look at it as a whole. But definitely, if you see it and you're able to prove it, don't settle, don't stay. You're better than that. Know your worth. Yeah.
0: Know your worth is a great one. And so, you said there you should have left before. What do you think stops people and what stopped you from leaving before?
2: Love, love, wanting it to work. Um, manipulation. Sometimes they they get in your head, and that logic gets skewed. You are thinking one thing, and you, you you're wanting another. You're wanting it to work out, but logically, you're like, no, this isn't. I'm not happy. I, I it's too many factors that are wrong. I shouldn't be walking on eggshells, but. You know, the manipulation and and being drained as well, especially if it's an abusive situation, whether it's physical or mental and emotional, it all wears on you and it all points to control. The other person having control over you, whether it's physically controlled or um, mentally. And with me, it was more mental and emotional to where whenever I would say, oh, I'm, I'm going to leave, he would manipulate and, you know, either have me doubting myself or just so drained, he would argue me down and even play the card of I'm going to go kill myself if you leave me. Um, to where, of course, knowing that I love him, I'm, I don't want
0: that. And that's a clear sign of emotional abuse, isn't it? When yes. someone says that to you and threatens yes. that it's different when someone actually feels that and they're going through you know depression or whatever it might be but if someone says that to try and make you stay then that's one of the big signs isn't it? Definitely
3: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, com. Ding dong! So it's interesting that this all came to a head when you were having to move and put an offer on a house. And quite often, you know, in in my own marriage, my dad had died and then I was doing self-healing, you know, and and talking to a counsellor because of that. And that's sort of what helped me come to a decision of I wanted, you know, my marriage to finish. Um, it's, it's interesting that it's quite often a big event that it takes you to get you out of your comfort zone for you to decide. Do you think it was this thing of, I know you said about the the kind of Snapchat next to you in the bed, but also that you'd put an offer on a house and you were like, do I want to go into this with
2: it? That was probably the the biggest factor, but it was multiple factors in that moment. It was, whoa, like I just gave you a clean slate, although truth be told, you can't forget, you know, that that doubt is still there, especially if it's never really been resolved. You just agreed like, okay, we're going to just move forward. But there was that there was, oh, I just quit my job and uprooted, which is a part of the nature of the military. But still, like I made a sacrifice you know, due to your career and our marriage to move to this state that is, my family is on the East coast. So, you know, Washington state is clear cross country. Um, So even making that sacrifice and on top of that, yes, thinking we just put this offer on this house and this is us getting deeper together. Plus we were discussing, having a child together because we came together It's a blended family. He has two children and I came in with two children as well, but we due to the issues in the marriage um, was never on the same page as far as having a baby, but, you know, we had been discussing that um, as well as we reconciled um, while he was in Korea. But, I'm looking at something's off. Remember I said when he got back, the energy was off. We weren't meshing it. It's almost like we had issues before he left, but like I, they were palpable. You could feel just how much worse it was him getting back, despite us saying it was our clean slate. Um, and so I'm looking at all of these factors, and you've been gone a year, a solid year in, in a whole different country. I don't know what you've been doing. Um, so, but yeah, mainly me putting the pressure on him right then and there was mostly the house. I'm like, we need to know today. And it's it's funny because that happened like as soon as I'm opening my eyes pretty much that morning and maybe about an hour or so later, because that argument lasted a few hours Um, or that round of it rather lasted a few hours. But during that time, I get a text from the realtor saying that our offer had been accepted and it it was like truly ironic because that was our third, I want to say the third attempt of us making an offer, you know, the housing market houses were flying really fast off of the market and it was very competitive. And so it was almost discouraging and ironic that we make this offer and it gets accepted. And that is the same day that I'm finding out like the, the extent of my marriage really being over. And I'm telling him like, there's no way we can move together. There's no way, like I'm about to call a realtor now. And he's like, no, we could keep the house. <laughs> I <was> like what? <laughs> no way. So, I I called the realtor. I didn't go into detail, but I was able to back out um of the offer and honestly, I'm grateful. I am so grateful. I don't believe that that was just luck. Um there's a reason why we woke up that morning. Our routine was totally different. Like I needed to see that because I I know I would have been stuck and miserable in a house, and and I would have been a lot more. It would have been a little harder for me to make that decision to leave, knowing that we had that level of investment together.
0: Yeah, of course. And so, you know, you you did leave, mm-hmm. and you went to Florida. You said um to be closer to your family. And so, what what was that like? Did you have your son with you did you say
2: yes yes
0: did you immediately go and like rent somewhere did you go and stay with a family
2: member even making the the decision to move to Florida didn't just come to me very easily initially when everything hit the fan I I was not thinking clear at all it was just pure emotion and I'm trying to I was trying to figure out my next move but I was just so angry and hurt I and I called my mom not for her to you know, come. I just called her to let her know. And because it was one of those things, I couldn't just tell anybody, you know, and I, I just told her like, hey, mom, we're done. And she, she said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the way. And the last thing I really expected, because my mom, um, this was during the time where during the pandemic, my mom was really hunkered down. Like, was trying to avoid the store and everything if she could so for her to say I'm driving clear cross country um I did not want that I did not want I felt like a burden you know um and in hindsight I'm, I'm very grateful for it I needed that but at that time I was like this is my problem mama that's not why I was calling you I was just calling to share it with you and so there was no stopping her there there was no talking her out of it but the whole time cuz it took her days um she drove up and so during that time i'm still apartment hunting i'm i'm still trying to at that point switch gears and find a place for my son and i and even apartments were flying really fast and so of course family talks <laughs> And so she did tell a cousin, she didn't go into detail, but she just explained, hey, I'm on my way to Keene. And um, then my cousins were calling and they were in Florida as well. And they're like, hey, we don't know exactly what happened, but we're here and you should move here. And at that time, I was not thinking about, it was not on my radar to move to Florida. Um they were like, you have nobody there in Washington except for him. And now you don't have him. Why would you stay there? Um, Plus Washington state is extremely expensive. And like I said, it's very far from my family, from my support system. But in my mind, I just was tired. I, you know, after moving across country, going through all of that. And in my mind, it, it was just easier for me to find something there and, and make it work there. And then maybe later down the line, making the, the decision to move. And so even once my mom got there, she didn't really pressure me, but she was like, you know, we leave in a few days. Um, she was just mainly supportive. She's like, what are you going to do? And I really just did not know. And I'm I'm grateful that every single apartment that I was interested in was either too far out of my price range or it just, um, immediately was like leased to someone else <laughs> as soon as I found it. And so, um, yeah, it was like a day or so before it was time to leave. I had been going back and forth in my mind and in my heart and I, I, it was still reluctant that I, I left, but I, that last day that I was there, it, it kind of opened my eyes and made me shift towards making that decision to go to Florida because I had to return to the hotel that w- the room we had shared together to just get a few more items that I left initially. And I asked him to leave. And initially he was, you know, refusing to leave. And I said, uh, eh, it's not a good thing for you to be there, not just with what's going on between us, but my mother is angry and we don't, we don't need those problems. So come to find out, I did a scan of the area when we pulled up to the hotel and he was like, it's really hilly in, um, Washington state. He was up on a hill across from the hotel watching me. And that, that just gave me such an eerie feeling and it, it solidified that I needed to go because that was kind of, um, a, what I could expect if I were to stay, you know, probably some stalking and such and um still that control over me. And so I I actually felt freer once we made it to Florida. And um I did stay with a cousin initially, but um it's just so funny how things happen the way that they do, and you don't know what you're being prepared for at the time because months before he returned from Korea we had already talked about buying a house once we got to Washington but I noticed he was blowing the money in Korea Um, we had a joint account and then we had our own separate accounts and he was pulling like a lot of money from the joint account and I couldn't see what he was spending it on um, but he claimed it was food but I'm like that's kind of selfish. Like you have a family, the amount that you're spending and he didn't change. So I started kind of funneling money and I told him like, we we are about to make a move. We need money, especially getting ready to buy a house. We have to be prepared for this. So thankfully by me doing that at that time, I thought it was for our next step together. It was really preparing me to be able to leave him. So when I left and went to Florida, I stayed with a cousin like a week and a half and I really needed that because she was just someone I could talk to. I trusted. She stayed up with me, ate ice cream with me, you know, and just kind of allowed me to vent, watch movies with me, distracted me, um, allowed me to process. And then the whole family was actually very shocked at how quick I found a place. Um, And I actually moved maybe like three miles away from my cousin that was very supportive and, had gotten the house for my son and I and really was able to kind of just get get my bearings and adjust and go through, start going through my grief and my phases um, because I didn't have to rush into work um, since I had saved up a, a decent amount of money. So it worked out. It's so
0: strange, isn't it? That when you're going through like one of the most emotional times, like the breakup of a marriage, that you have to think about all these practical things. And I remember I was just, you know, because I was trying to take over the mortgage of the house we were living in, which is where I live now. And I remember at the time I was like going through all these practical motions, but like not really, my head wasn't like switched on because I was in the middle of, you know, all these feelings. Um, So it sounds like a good thing that you could have be with your family and it's funny you said that your mum said I'm on my way because I had this was like I broke up with a boyfriend in university and I remember I rung my dad to cry at him and my dad was like I'm on my way and he drove from London to Edinburgh which is like the other side of the UK oh, wow. um um, like through the night to come and get me and I was like no you don't have to come and get me but then I was also like oh my god do come and get me because this is exactly what I need <laughs> I need you to come and take me away from all this horrible thing all this crying so um, it is interesting that family quite often they know and and also you know with a parent or with a close friend or someone that you confide in you know, quite often, even though you're saying, no, I don't need you to do that. Quite often they know and they just do the thing, which is, you know, we're very lucky to have, have had that. Yes. So you, so you moved to Florida, you got this new house, you're closer to your cousin and your family. How did you then start recovering? Like what was useful for you at that time?
2: Well, family, the, the support, um, and just kind of having just some, some time. I try to keep up with certain routines, but I started to really struggle with that, um, so the, the best thing that was helping me was family and music. Um I had a few songs kind of on a replay and I would just really express, you know, I'd go from anger to crying to happy and peaceful, all probably within the span of an hour sometimes. Um, and and being able to focus on my son, he's on the spectrum. So I really, really just put my focus on him um and kind of distracted myself from and he was my reason for getting up in the morning at that point um and you know i started watching like shows and such but i also started to decline i went through like that anger was like really really there i was wanting closure and he was not um really communicating with me at that point. The issue was I had left Washington state so quick, all of our household goods were in Washington state. And so one of the conversations we had prior to me leaving, but after everything hit the fan was, you know, what about the household goods? And he said, you know, you could have all of them. And that was fair especially since entering the marriage, most of that stuff was mine coming in anyway. So that was the agreement. And he agreed to even make sure I got them like to make those arrangements. But then he was coming up with a lot of excuses. And in my mind, I'm like, not only did you mistreat me during our marriage and betray me in the end and have no remorse for it, but now you continue to hurt me. Um, I just want my stuff that to me, that was my way of like sealing that, that chapter, closing that chapter. Once I got my stuff, I I no longer have to deal with him um, because we didn't have any children together or anything, but it was almost like he was holding it purposely to continue to hurt me. Um, And I wasn't going to go out and buy new household goods because Initially, he made it sound like he was going to send them, so it made no sense. But my son and I um, ended up sleeping on an air mattress for seven months, seven or eight months, and those aren't comfortable. Um, And I could have done it. I've slept on worse, especially in the military, but it's my child. And that was the thing. I'm like, if you don't care about me or whatever, I I get that. I'm beyond that that's clear but how can you treat a child treat my child like that and he was just so cold and I it got to the point where that was what was perpetuating my anger um initially it was me trying to still just get answers and closure on the betrayal piece but eventually it shifted to you know he's still hurting me he still has power and control over me even in the aftermath um and so I had to t- take a drastic step in order to get my belongings a step that I said you know I would never go there but I had to contact his command and and explain to them the situation and at that point um it it was ugly it was already ugly prior to that but you know I kind of had to hit him where it hurt and exert control that way and it, it worked I got my stuff and that was where I started to be able to shift out, slowly shift out of that anger and in a sense the depression as well, because um, in hindsight, at the time I didn't realize it but I, I was starting to slip into depression I. I had a great routine of riding my bike every single day, except for on Sunday um, prior to everything hitting the fan. And I tried to keep it up once we moved to Florida and I started missing days and then days started turning into weeks and, then that started making me feel worse. And it was just a cycle from there because then my eating habits like just went downhill too. And I started gaining weight and I was already feeling bad about myself. And it was just this whole downward spiral. Um, but once I got my stuff, got my belongings, I I felt free. I felt independent of him, like because being still dependent on him to do something and him having that power of withholding that from me was just so, uh, you know, I just felt so helpless. And so getting that control over my life and finally severing and being able to say, okay, now this is over. Our communication and all that can cease and I can finally move forward. um, it, It was just so liberating. And I still went through my process because after that. Um, I ended up actually moving again, getting a job um, and moving again and purchasing a home on my own at that point, because the, the first house was just rented, but I purchased a home on my own and everything seemed good. But beneath the surface, at that point, um, I was no longer angry, but I was afraid. And that fear was, um, I I can't let anyone hurt me again. I will never allow anyone to hurt me again. So therefore, I will live in my bubble with my son. And um, my mother, at some point, had started saying like, you got to get out. You you have to live life. You're too young for this. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I, I just, just my son and I, and um, you know, I will pour into people at work because I was a therapist and I will come home. I'm preaching self-care and, oh, we got to be connected with people when I go to work and then I come home. And live the opposite. I went pouring to myself. I wasn't really taking care of myself. Everything was about my son. And um, it really was kind of an excuse that I was making. Um, although he needed me, I also needed to do things for myself and I needed interaction and connection, but I was kind of choking myself off from that and I didn't realize it, but I was truly lonely. And
0: what do you think was the the kind of marker that made you go, okay, I need to look after myself. Do you think there was anything to do with your military training that helped you in that time?
2: Um, well, not so much for my turnaround. My The military training helped me be able to compartmentalize. Um, it, it helped me be able to like get up and, and get things done, even make that drive across country, you know, and, and not get too emotional behind the wheel or anything. Um, it, it helped me kind of shift my focus and for the most part during the day, at least kind of put my my feelings, my emotions and concerns to the side and function. But it also hurt me to do that because then I, I wore that mask so well. Like, I got to be strong. And, you know, I don't want anybody to see me cry. And, you know, although it's like, uh, it's okay. And I actually carried some shame, even though I did nothing wrong. Um, I was embarrassed. And I was actually telling my mom and, and the cousins who did know that I was closest to, don't tell anybody. Like, don't tell the rest of the family. And and doing so, that even isolated me because I'm like, don't, I don't want them to know. I don't want to be asked anything and um, I'll deal with my problems myself. So what the turning point really was after I moved and took the next job, I ended up as a veteran. Um, I received benefits and such. And um, part of those benefits was medical care and um, started with a new doctor and she did something different that No other doctor has ever screened for. Every doctor screens for um, hypertension um, and diabetes if it runs in the family. But she asked me something different. She said, has anyone in your family ever had a stroke? I said, no, but my mom actually um, had a ruptured aneurysm. She survived, but she had a ruptured aneurysm a few years ago. And she said, oh, okay, well, that puts you at a higher risk for having one. And that was my first time hearing that. I'm like, okay. Um, didn't think much of it. She was like, "I just want to do an MRI scan, you know, to just rule it out, make sure, just to check." And I said, like, "All right, so go through the scan." Waiting on the results, sitting in my office one day at work, and I get a call, and it's a nurse who really had no tact. She did not have good bedside manner at all, because um, she just jumped right in and, and said you you have an enlarged blood vessel um, in, in your brain pretty much. And I'm like, what does that mean? And I part of me knew what that meant, but I needed to hear it in layman's terms. I just needed her to spell it out. And she said, um, you have an a aneurysm, a brain aneurysm. And in that moment, the world stopped. Um, my world stopped. I first, my mind flashed back to, you know, the few years prior where I remember seeing my mother sitting in that or laying in that hospital bed, unresponsive, and hearing cold blue left and right on that floor that was specifically designated to people with either brain brain aneurysms or strokes. So my mind jumps to that, and then it fast forward to. Pretty much my life, you know, it it jumped to when I was 13 and I was molested, or when I had my first child at age 14 and I made a promise to her that I would be the best mother I could be. You know, it jumped to age 18 when I was homeless, or age 23 when I joined the military and then I turned around and had to leave my children and deploy, and I returned where my body came back, but not my mind. And then, you know, my marriage and the abuse I went through and how I had gotten out of it and gone through that horrible divorce and had gotten through that. And all these things that I had overcome all came to my mind. And in that moment, I realized that I had a choice. Like I was not really living life, you know, if if God was trying to call me home, I wasn't ready to go. Like it forced me to see that. And um, once that initial shock, because it was almost like being told you're going to die, like getting that kind of call. um, And I felt like I had a ticking time bomb just thinking about my mother and the difference is We didn't even know my mom had an aneurysm before it ruptured. Um, And so I I followed up with a neurologist shor- shortly after that. But yeah, a lot of anxiety, just a lot of kind of mulling in my own head about it and trying to process what it means. And, you know, does this mean I have to start making funeral arrangements and arrangements for my son if I, I don't see him, you know, grow up well and just all these things. And um, I talked to the doctor and they said, actually, it's more common than people realize to have an aneurysm and to live a full life. It's just certain things that have to be monitored. Um, and so getting that news, I had hope, um, but I also had a choice. I could continue to live like the dead woman walking that I had been living as, or I could live in fear of so, you know, dying any day, or I could focus on making the best out of whatever time I have left, and truly living, truly thriving, not just surviving. And that's really the choice that I I chose to make. And in doing so, I started to really, really do the work on myself. I started taking better care of myself. I started connecting with those people I had cut off, you know, due to shame and embarrassment. I started to really take that look back at that, at my marriage and Without that anger, you know, I was able to look at it and actually look at what was my part in that, um, because all the time I had been the victim um, and blaming it was him he cheated he abused me but I looked back and I was able to see okay but you didn't leave sooner you know, you were making excuses for it. You weren't speaking up. You weren't assertive. You weren't setting boundaries. There were certain things in the beginning that were red flags that you didn't heed to. You still went ahead and said, I do. You didn't take time to really get to know him before getting married. It's just a whole list of things. And I didn't use that to beat myself up. I used them to learn and grow. I used them to see, okay, Instead of me living in fear that this will happen again, how about I learn from my previous experience and start setting boundaries and expectations and knowing my worth and that settling and knowing how to voice what I'm going to accept versus not. And in doing so and doing the work, I got back out there in the dating world, and got back out there not looking for anything, not because that, in hindsight, that was something else. I was like, "Uh, I need to do differently. I need to take my time and see where it goes. And so I knew I needed companionship. I needed connection. Um, and I made it very clear. That's really all I'm looking for. And wherever it goes, that's where it goes. But actually, the day that I got out on the dating scene was the day that I met the greatest love ever. Um, didn't know it at that time allowed it to develop and grow and start off as a very strong friendship Um, but now to this day I am so happy I'm loved I'm supported it's a whole different level of love and I that that is really what led me to what I do today.
3: Wow
0: so I I, I mean for anyone listening I don't your story is incredible, but I don't, I don't want to sound insensitive, but I don't want people to have to wait for a divorce and a brain aneurysm to do what you've done. Do you know what I mean? Right. So to just because I'm wondering for you, so what's going on with the brain aneurysm now? Is it just a thing that's monitored and you just take precautions?
2: Yes. Yes. So, um, I follow up with the neurologist and um, they do a annual scan and they just monitor it to make sure that it's not getting any larger. Um, when I was initially diagnosed, um, they said it was very small. Um, so no need for like a stent or anything like that. No surgical procedures required. Um, just monitoring and for me to make sure that I just certain things I have to be careful, making sure I'm not going and lifting like a hundred pounds and, um, smoking, um, avoiding that as well as anything that will really elevate my blood pressure. So, um, just a few precautions, but for for the most part, I'm able to just live a normal life. And honestly, in that time, at that time, it was at the front of my mind, but now I'm just focus on living, you know, focus on being the best version of myself and making the best out of life. And I realized that tomorrow isn't guaranteed to anybody, regardless of if you have a diagnosis or or not. And so I can't live my life in fear. And I realized that that was what was keeping me stuck. So I, I just, I I don't, I think about it enough to where I'm like, okay, I gotta be careful in some regards, but I don't have to like walk on eggshells in my life. I I am able and I should live my life to the fullest.
0: I love that. I think that's a brilliant place to finish. Thank you so much. Can you remind, uh, can you let people know where they can find you online? Because you are a divorce recovery coach as well.
2: Yes, yes. So I am on all social media platforms. um, And my handle, my social media handle is coaching with Kena, K-E-E-N-A. And um, also I can be reached via email info at IamKenaCrowley.com or you could go on my website, MyThrivingLifeAcademy.com. Amazing.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And we're so glad. I'm so glad that you're happy and in love and thriving and living life to the fullest now.
2: Yes. Yes. So I, I want that for all women for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you.
3: Hold up.
0: Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, but also it affects our listing, the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times, and they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So, if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes, is the big one, or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at Divorce Pod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com. And we have a Patreon account, which means the use.